morning. Glad you're here at the Vineyard. My name is Adam. I'm the pastor here at the Vineyard, and really happy to see all you guys here. Yes, yes, bring your stuff on in. Uh, If you want to open up your Bibles, actually, you don't even have to open up your Bibles. I'm just going to read some stuff to you. Is that all right? But just so you know, this is all in the Bible. Somewhere. I want to begin this morning's message with uh, with about six different scriptures that are all leading up to one thing, if that's all right. So let's start with Isaiah chapter 9. This is These are some really, really famous pieces of scripture leading up to the birth of Jesus. And they're famous for a reason, which we'll highlight here in just a moment. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I want you to understand a couple things. Number one. This was written 700 years before Jesus showed up. And then number two, it's a specific prophetic word that when God shows up, he would show up as a son, as a person, as a male child. 700 years before he came. The next one, please. Isaiah seven fourteen, Another one of the prophetic declarations, 700 years before the Lord Jesus shows up. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. What's the sign? The sign is this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So it's not just that God would come to earth in the form of a person as a man, but it's that God would come to earth and he would be born from a virgin. It would be one of the the accompanying signs. And the next one. Isaiah chapter 11, 1 through 5. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will he will judge not by what his eyes see, nor decide what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. That reading thing gets me every time. It's another prophetic word about the Lord Jesus. 700 years before he shows up, he would be born a man. He would be born from a virgin. And he would be born from the family of Jesse. That's a really big deal. All of these prophetic declarations, you see it in verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. It's part of his family. And the next one. This is out of Micah. But to you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That was 400 years before Jesus. And then the next one. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
This is about the Lord Jesus as well. Jesus, in fact, quotes this about himself. There's another one I want to read to you. I don't know if it's up there. It's Isaiah chapter 29, verse 18. And in that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll and out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. It's another prophetic word about the Lord Jesus, 700 years before he comes. So here's what we've got. We've got just a sampling here. We could have actually played this game all day long because there's so many prophetic declarations about the Son of God before he shows up that we could have actually spent the good portion of the morning just reading out of the Old Testament one prophetic declaration after another. What did I want to point out to you here? I want to point out a couple things. Number one, hundreds of years before Jesus came, God was already beginning to speak to his prophets about how he would come and what it would look like. That Jesus would be a man, that he would be born a virgin, that he would be born from the, the, the root and the clan of Jesse, that Bethlehem, even though it's the smallest in the clans, that, there, that Bethlehem would be exalted. As we see here in Isaiah chapter 9, that Jesus' own ministry would be a ministry of power. See that? Blind eyes will see. That his ministry would be a, would be a ministry of power. And we also see through the, through the scriptures uh, in the Old Testament, one of the main themes that comes up when, when uh, Jesus is being prophesied about is that he would be rejected. The cornerstone, the, the, the stone that the builders reject would become the chief cornerstone. So we have this rich tradition of prophetic declaration, 700, some, up, some of them up to a thousand years before Jesus shows up. Actually, some of them even longer back than that. If you guys remember that in, in the garden when, when, uh, when Adam and Eve had eaten the fruit, God speaks to the serpent who, who tricked Eve and he says, he says, his heel is going to crush your head, right? It's the, first, it's the first prophetic declaration about the Son of God, that he would be an overcomer, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be a man, that his ministry would be a ministry of power, that he would be rejected, that he'd be born in Bethlehem. And so there's this rich tradition, 700 years especially, 1,000 years, some of them going back even further, and they're not just like pithy prophetic words you know, they're not just like little impressions. They're like specific prophetic words about who the Son of God would be, what He would be like, and what His ministry would be like. And then years later, Jesus shows up, and it's exactly the way He says. And this is part of the thing that strikes me about the whole Christmas story, is that we have this, this really long history of prophetic declaration about the coming Son of God. And when He shows up, it's a baby in a barn. We have thousands of years of prophetic utterance about the Son of God. And what we end up with is we end up with a baby in a barn. A baby, a lot like the little babies in the room right now. A baby who couldn't even hold his own head up. Like, when Jesus showed up, he was a baby that couldn't even hold his own head up. He was completely dependent upon his mother. If his mother had been a bad mother, he would have died. If she had decided not to feed him... He would have died. If she had decided to leave him out in the cold, he would have been dead. Now imagine that. A couple thousand years, prophetic utterance. Baby in a barn. I don't know about you guys, this is one of those points in the story where I'm always a little bit confused because it doesn't seem to match up. Or at least it doesn't seem to match up with the narrative that I would have played out. 
if I were the one in control. You know, if I were going to come to earth, probably wouldn't have come to earth as a baby. Not if I was God. If I was God, I'd probably come to earth like as a shining ball of fire. Maybe ride a white horse. That seems to be pretty cool. Flaming sword. Split the heavens. And then, you know, if you decided that you, this, you know, this incarnation, this flesh thing was like really important to you and you were going to absolutely do it no matter what, maybe we could just skip the baby part, right? And we could just go right on into full-grown man of heaven. In fact, I was actually meditating on this week about like maybe what a better way would be. And one of the things that I thought about that, you know, that he could have done that might have been a little better is he could have thrown everybody a bone, especially like, especially his favorite people, Israel. He could have thrown them a bone. It would have been really cool if he jumped out of the box, you know, if he had jumped out of the Ark of the Covenant, if he had, like, there, it could have been really neat because, you know, the, the box is like this big and it could have been one of those really surprising moments when 19 clowns come out of one tiny car. He could have blown the top right off of the Ark of the Covenant. Then he could have, like, then he could have maybe melted the temple with his eyes like shooting fireballs out of his eyes, melted the temple. And while he's melting the temple, he could have eaten the showbread and some of the roasted lamb that was on the altar. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't, it makes sense to me. Some of us in the room are like, man, that's completely ridiculous, Right? Was it any more ridiculous than God coming to earth as a baby? Not in my head, anyway. This is one of the things I've learned about God after a few years, that He always has a purpose in the way that He does things. So if He shows up on the planet as a baby, He must be trying to get something across to us. There must be some reason, because He didn't have to do it that way reason holds that he could have done it any way he wanted to, right? I mean, if he wanted to split the sky and show up as a fireball, he could have done that. It's well within his abilities and within his rights. If he wanted to blow the top off the Ark of the Covenant and jump out and melt the temple with fireballs out of his eyes, he could have done that, and it's well within his abilities. But he didn't. He chose to become a person, which is very strange. Stranger still, he chose to become a person born a tiny baby. He chose to be nestled within his mother's womb for nine months. And he chose to grow and he chose to have to be born in a barn. He chose to be nursed at his mother's breast. He chose to trust Mary. He chose to give himself to Joseph. Imagine Joseph. Joseph's the guy I feel the most sorry for in this whole story. Mary gets the angel. Joseph gets a dream. You know, I mean, I feel terrible for Joseph. Everybody, the rest of Joseph's life is like, there's no one more pathetic than Joseph. Everyone knows Mary's been having sex behind his back, and he believes her story. There's no one more gullible than Joseph. That's what everyone thinks about Joseph. They think he's desperate, and they think he's gullible forever. They think he's desperate because the woman who was betrothed to him is obviously having sex behind his back. And he's so desperate that he won't put her away like any other self-respecting man would. And he's gullible because he's believing what she says. You know, if I were God, I just wouldn't have done it that way. But since he did, he's trying to say something. 
maybe to us even in the way that he came. And I think one of the things he's trying to say to us is, is this. It's really simple. It's that life is really important. It's really kind of obvious. But one of the things that God's saying to us in the birth of Jesus and the fact that he was gestated in his mother's womb for nine months is that he's saying that life is really important. It's, it's so important that he's willing to go through life that you and I have lived. He, he, he values it. Like when God said in the garden that it is good, meaning all of my creation, he really wasn't joking. It really is good. It is good for babies to be born. That thing that happens to a woman's body, that it grows, it expands, and somehow can drop a baby out, that's a good thing. I'm using phrases like drop a baby out because I'm not a woman. But life is important. See, one of the things that happens is sometimes we assume, sometimes we assume that everything is rotten right down to the core in life. And when Jesus shows up as a baby born from his mother, one of the things that God is saying is not everything is rotten. Has everything been smudged? You better believe it. Does everything need redeeming? You better believe it. But my original plan and my original purpose is still good. And right beneath the dust, if you look with a critical eye at all, you can find the goodness. You can find the goodness. So number one, everything is good. Not number two, not everything is rotten. And number three, Jesus is going to redeem the world. And he wasn't going to redeem the world the way a lot of us would redeem the world. Jesus came to redeem the world by being a part of the world and working it from the inside out rather than the outside in. That's a really big deal. Because a lot of us, when we, when we set to the work of redemption or when we set to the work of, of reconstruction or you know, redoing or fixing, the way we do it is outside in rather than inside out. And Jesus reveals to, it this, reveals to us that God's way is always inside out. You know, the way we do it is like this. Uh, when something gets screwed up at the home office, what happens? You send management in, right? Management flies in. They don't have any idea about anybody who's there. They fire three or four people, heads roll, and things are fixed, right? Except they're really not fixed. It's a systemic problem. Jesus is not the boss who flies in from home office and fires a couple people at the branch, heads roll, and then flies back out thinking he's fixed it. That's just not who the Lord is. He comes in and he works at, he works at the branch, And when Jesus showed up to work at the branch, he didn't even take over as vice president of the branch. He took over as mailboy and he fixed it. It's inside out, not outside in. Not only that, but Jesus as a baby confirms that life is important and life is good and no amount of crappy circumstances can keep God out. What do I mean? Jesus shows up. We talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago. Jesus shows up. And it's the most unideal of circumstances. Number one, you're God. You live in glory. Then you give up glory and you take on flesh. But you don't do it as a full-grown man with all your faculties. You do it as a baby. But before you even do it as a baby, you're, you're riding in your mom's belly for nine months. And then circumstances, which get really crappy really quick for Joseph and Mary, circumstances have them traveling while Mary is nine months pregnant on the back of a donkey. How many of you guys realize that's not ideal? Imagine your pregnant wife on a donkey traveling, not because you want to, because you have to. Now imagine that you're Joseph and you haven't planned well and there's no place to stay. You didn't call ahead. You didn't book for the trip. 
and your wife is nine months pregnant and she's been riding for days on the back of a donkey. Not ideal. Can you imagine the conversation that was happening when Joseph goes in the inn and has to come back out and face his wife and tell her, you know, I really didn't book the trip. There's no place for us to stay. But don't worry, there's a barn down the road. Don't worry, I know a guy, he's got a barn. And so Jesus shows up riding in his mother's belly for nine months while she's on the back of a donkey taking a trip that Joseph didn't plan well to not go stay in a Holiday Inn, but to go stay in a barn. Can we all agree this is crappy circumstance? Not ideal. One of the things that Jesus being born as a baby shows us is that no amount of bad circumstances can keep God out. No amount of bad circumstances can keep heaven at bay. This is one of the things that's constantly amazing me about the the Jesus story and the Christmas narrative is that somehow humanity and really bad circumstances still manage to be a container for the Son of God. Like sometimes we think, oh man, everything is rotten. There's no way that God could be satisfied. Everything is rotten. There's no way that God would come here. Are you kidding? God came to the worst point in human history and stayed in a barn. Like he will come into your life. No amount of bad circumstances can keep him out. No amount of bad circumstances are a container that heaven can't come and fill. Heaven can fill all kinds of things. Circumstances cannot resist God. Circumstances cannot resist heaven's intervention. If God can come into a barn, He can come into my life. If He can show up there, He can certainly manage here and now. By the way, that's really good news. Here's another thing about the Christmas narrative. Going right along with bad circumstances and God's ability to show up and fill it up. Sometimes God's supernatural intervention looks really normal. Sometimes God's supernatural intervention looks really normal. What do I mean? Well, before Mary got drawn into this whole process, and by the way, she was probably somewhere between 13 and 15 when all this went down. Now, just imagine how stupid you were when you were 13. Okay? Yeah, so Mary's 13, 14, 15-year-old girl. Angel shows up. And it's not just any angel, it's Gabriel. And the Bible doesn't say, but I like to imagine that Gabriel is really big, okay? Perhaps he's small. I don't know. He might only be this big. (laughs) But that just never really worked in my mind's eye. I figure if Gabriel shows up in your room, pretty much all you're seeing are the feet. Okay? So, 14-year-old girl, she's at home. And, and back then, like, they weren't homes like we have. Like, even, even the poorest person in the room right now has a home that's more sophisticated than anyone in that day had. Basically, they were like one bedroom. They were just, they were huts. And everyone just slept together, you know? And so, Mary's at home. And we don't know when the angel came, but probably came in a private moment. So maybe everyone's out working or something. And Mary's home alone was supposed to be baking bread. And a 35-foot-tall angel shows up to a 14-year-old girl and says, good news to you. Don't be afraid. You're going to get pregnant. (laughs) 
That's how dramatic it is. I mean, it's crazy, right? You're 14. Don't worry. You're going to get pregnant without having sex. And you're going to carry the son of God. Like you're not going to carry a prophet. You're not going to carry a holy guy. You're going to carry the son of God, like the king of the universe. Like the scripture says that by him, all things were created and that he presently holds all things together. So if Jesus doesn't fulfill his job as son of God, we all evaporate. Even now that guy's going to come and live inside of you. And I'm not talking a metaphoric, physical, spiritual way. I'm talking about actually in your body. He's going to come and live in your uterus for nine months. Now, how many of us recognize in the room, that's a supernatural moment. She gets an angelic visitation. Says that the spirit of God overshadowed her. I have no idea what that's about other than that's where she got pregnant. That seems supernatural, right? All right. And then some people are having prophetic dreams. We talked about poor Joseph. Mary has an angelic visitation. Then Joseph has probably the same angel come visit him, but in a dream. So he goes to sleep. How many of you realize that when an angel comes and visits you in your sleep and tells you what to do, that's supernatural? Some of us in the room have experienced that sort of a thing. So Mary's angelic visitation, supernatural. Joseph's prophetic dream, clearly supernatural. And then there's really, really strange things happening. Like stars are guiding foreign magician astrologers across the sky. How many of you realize that is supernatural? That's one of my favorite parts of the story is that pagan astrologer magicians are more in tune with the spirit and come to see Jesus than the scribes and the Pharisees. And one of the things we pick up from the scripture is that the scribes and Pharisees actually knew where Jesus was going to be born. Herod asked him, where's the boy going to be born? And they say, Bethlehem. And none of them went to see him. Pagan, foreign, occultists, essentially. Astrologers come and see Jesus because stars are moving across the sky and it's telling them the story. How many of us realize that's supernatural? Okay. Angelic visitation, supernatural. Prophetic dreams, supernatural. Stars guiding astrologers, clearly weird supernatural babies being born absolutely normal absolutely natural what's the point sometimes god's supernatural intervention looks really really normal and one of the things that we need to see especially as a church especially living today is that there is less of a difference and there's less of a separation between supernatural life and the natural life than we actually think there is Let me ask you this question. Angelic visitation was supernatural. Prophetic dream was supernatural. Stars across the sky, supernatural. When Mary was screaming and crying and bleeding and pushing a baby out, was it supernatural or was it natural? That sounded like a convoluted mess. Was it supernatural or was it natural? How can you divide it? You can't. What's the point? There really isn't a separation between the supernatural life and the natural life. There really isn't. See, sometimes God's biggest move looks pretty normal. Sometimes God's biggest plan, sometimes God's biggest move around us looks like something really regular. No, that's really good news. 
And it's really scary news. Why is it good news? Well, it's good news because God is probably at work all around us all the time. It's really scary because God is always at work all around us all the time. And oftentimes we don't make ourselves aware of it. How do you divide it? Sometimes you can miss God at, right, God at work right in front of you. There's a really crazy passage in John chapter 12. I want to read it to you. John chapter 12, verse 20, 23. Uh, Jesus is talking about his, his own, um, his, own uh, in, his own death that's getting ready to come up. I don't know if we can put that on the big screen. John 12, 23. Yes. There it is. Technology. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. I love this part. The crowd that was there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said that an angel had spoken to them. That's interesting, isn't it? An actual voice speaks out of heaven and most of the crowd thought it thundered. And other people said an angel had spoken to him. Who had spoken to him? It was his father. See, sometimes the father is at work and we think we think it's just a thunderstorm. Sometimes the father is at work and we think it's just a baby being born. See, the conception was immaculate, but the delivery was an absolute mess. That's something that some of y'all need to write down. Conception can be immaculate, but delivery is almost always a mess. And one of the things that the birth of Jesus reveals is that God is really into process. And this is where I really wanted to get today. So if you've been ignoring me for the past 20 minutes, I need you to wake up and please pay attention to me. This might change your life. You might go home a brand new person. You might get set free. Yeah, some of y'all are like, man, I don't know if I want to get set free. You might want to go back to sleep. Yeah, the birth of Jesus reveals that God's really in the process. Here's what the process looks like. God had a plan, man sinned and ruins God's, ruined God's plan. And then from that moment, God was hard at work implementing another plan. So the process looks like this. Plan, sin, law, prophets, silence, rescue. That was a process that took several thousand years. Mary carried, Mary carried Jesus for nine months. And she processed and progressed like any other woman who's ever carried a child. I think it's interesting that Mary carried the baby for nine months. 
God could have certainly showed up out of heaven and he could have sent an angel and that Gabriel angel, he could have showed up in a room and he could have been like, Mary, I've brought you a baby and I need you to take care of it. It's God. <laughs> right? He could have done that, right? And it, well within his realm of authority, well, well within his capabilities, he could have done that. But he didn't. He chose to plant a little fertilized egg in her uterus and he allowed her to carry it for nine months and then for her to travail and deliver it. The reason I want to bring this up is because this is really hard on our charismatic leanings. This is really... See, especially in the charismatic church, we think that God is mostly the instantaneous God. Can I tell you? His character is far and away not the instantaneous God. He's way more into seasons. He's way more into times. He's way more into process than He is into the instantaneous moment. And I want to tell you guys something. I am all about the instantaneous moment. And I'm, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that he, uh, he doesn't do the instantaneous moment because I've seen it too many times with my own very eyes. But what I do want to say is this. We can become addicted to the instantaneous moment and it will, uh, it will actually stunt us from growing into the kind of person who can carry what he actually has for us if we don't realize that he is a God of process, he's a God of seasons, he's a God, he's a God of springtime where you go out and you sow seed, summer where you go out and you cultivate and you water, and fall where you harvest, and winter when you rest. That's who he is. He is the God of seasons. He is, a, he is seed time, cultivation, harvest, and rest. He made this stuff up. He's the God of conception, gestation, and delivery. How many of you guys know that conception's more fun than delivery? Holla! Some of y'all are just getting that. Jesus as a baby shows us that God's in the process. One of the things I want to point out this morning is that thoughts conceive. We've been talking a little bit about this off and on for the past year. But we conceive in our imagination. Like, we don't just conceive in our bodies, but we also conceive in our imagination. The Bible says, set your mind on things above. Uh, There's something about dreaming that allows God to intersect that moment. When we begin to dream, when we become the kind of person who's free enough in our own heart and in our own mind to begin to dream and to begin to turn our imagination loose to God, God can oftentimes intersect that moment. And when He does, it actually gets fertilized. And conception just happened. And we're now we're carrying something. And we go into a, a period of our life of gestation. And you might carry that thing for a little while or you may carry it for years before you ever get to deliver it. See, everybody in the room is pregnant with something. You better be. If you're not, you're going to be a really depressed life. One of the things I've noticed with people who are depressed is they are not, con- they are not pregnant with much. Generally speaking, depressed people have not allowed themselves to dream. Or they allowed themselves to dream. And as the Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And the reason that hope has been deferred isn't because God's mad. It's just that they don't understand His processes. And they received... 
they received a dream. They received, uh, they received conception from God. And it, God came close and conceived something on the inside of you. And you thought that it was going to be given birth to tomorrow. But really God had it in mind for years later. That kind of hope deferred will make, yourself, will make your heart sick and will oftentimes leave you a depressed person who disallows yourself from dreaming. Dreaming's not the bad part. You just need to understand that God's a God of processes. Conception, gestation, delivery, seed time, cultivation time, harvest time, rest. He's a God of process. Yeah, but thoughts conceive. And then we carry and then we deliver. And and just like just like ladies who have become pregnant, carried and then delivered, oftentimes, like we already said, conception is more fun than delivery. You you will conceive and conception is the most joyous moment. And then as you begin to deliver, as that thing begins to gestate inside of you, and the longer you carry it, oftentimes the more miserable you become. And here's one of the things about giving birth to something in God. When it comes time to deliver, it's always hard work. It is always hard work. It's backbreaking hard work. There's a, there's a component of, of giving birth to your dream. There's a component of walking out your plan in God that is, it's going to be painful. And we hate that because most of us in the room, if you're like me, we all want it right now in Jesus' name. I don't know about you guys. I hate waiting on anything. As I was thinking about it this week, I've become quite convinced that one of the major components of hell is being stuck on hold. Like, if you die and you don't know Jesus, they send you to hell where you're just on hold. Anybody ever had to have, like, Anyone ever had to have, to have, like, have your computer fixed and then you had to call? And, they, and I always love this part. They're always like, do you care if we put you on hold? Uh, for years I was like, no, click Kenny G's on, you know, playing his alto sax. That didn't help either. And then like 35 minutes later they come back on and you've just like wasted 35 minutes of your life for them to tell you, well, have you tried plugging it in? And then I kind of caught on to it, and they said, you know, do you care if I put you on hold? And I said, yeah, I care. Don't do that. And it was click. Right, right on. It's, it's, a, it's not even a genuine question, you know? Yeah, people are wanting to know what hell's like. I'm telling you, that's, that's a major component of hell. You just, you die without knowing Jesus. You don't trust him. They just send you in a room where, they, where you have a phone in your hand all day long, and you have to wait. And you listen to Kenny G. As the fire gets hotter, it's like Michael Bublé comes on next, you know? They just, it's just awful. They just torture you. But we hate on, we hate waiting. And so many of the miseries in our life are really connected to waiting, you know? And anybody who's ever been to the doctor's office knows about this. You wait in the waiting room, and then as Jerry Seinfeld says, they take you back to the smaller waiting room. Waiting to see the dentist is great because your tooth is about to 
rocket out of your face. There is no pain. I mean, there just is no pain like toothache pain, that dull, like chainsaw murmur inside of your head. Like, can I get an appointment? And he's like, well, I've got something open in February. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no worries. (laughs) Sounds good. Sign me up. I remember that that waiting to have sex thing was kind of a big deal. That was kind of that was kind of terrible. Some of us are waiting to find our mates, and we're completely miserable. Sitting under the tattoo needle that that's kind of miserable. <laughs> tattoo Charlie's tattoos done while you wait. In pain. And then there are exceptions to the rule that only prove the rule like McDonald's it's really fast but it's really horrible here's what I found waiting is only a problem if you have a limited amount of time waiting is only a problem if you think you have a limited amount of time but if you're an eternal person with eternal purposes born to an eternal father, then waiting really doesn't matter. What's a few years if you're going to live forever? That's a little more profound than some of you are giving me credit for. Come on, give me a little credit. Come on. Come on. So then we have to ask the question, well, then why process? If God could do it any way he wants, why has he seen fit to give us process so many times in life? One of the reasons that he gives us process, and there's a lot of reasons, and I just want to focus on a couple here real quick, is because in process we're forced to deal with all of our fear, trust, and faith issues. Process causes us to deal with all of our fear. You know, there's nothing like a couple passing years to make me wonder if I've ever actually heard God, if I've ever actually known Him, if He's ever actually spoken to me. Anybody here ever like heard God and then He went kind of quiet on a topic for a few days and then you began to wonder, did I really hear God or was it just the thunder? On that day that I begin to think it might have been thunder, I have to, have to recollect my own soul and say, now who is it I trust? Did I, is, did I really hear God? What's, what's going on here? Imagine poor Mary. She has an angelic encounter. She has a supernatural pregnancy. Then she has a really regular delivery. I bet she didn't see that one coming. Supernatural visitation, supernatural pregnancy, really regular delivery. And then some guys show up, some magicians from the East show up, and they give her a bunch of money and a bunch of perfume. Okay, I'm encouraged again, right? Jesus was probably two years old by the time they got there. So she's reinvigorated. She's got some gold. She's got some frankincense and she's got some myrrh. She's reinvigorated. Yes, I really did hear from God. And then 21 years pass by and Jesus is still living at home making coffee tables. Yeah. And everyone everyone in your community thinks that you're a liar. 
or you're crazy. Because you're still hanging on to this story that I really didn't sleep with Joseph, that an angel did this to me. And, and the coffee table that was built by my son, is he's actually the son of God and he's going to save the world. Like, put that process into your will for a little bit. How did Mary feel when Jesus was 23, still living at home? At night, she would go to bed and she would pray, God, when is this going to happen? Like, I feel really foolish. Like, when Jesus is 20, do you even pray the prayer anymore? Have you given up? What about Jesus? From the time he was a little boy, he'd heard, look, I'm going to tell you the story about how you were born. You're not going to believe this, but an angel gave you to me, and actually, you're the son of God. And you're going to save the world. And so Jesus is at home, 23, Heard this miraculous story his entire life. Man, can you imagine the turmoil in his own soul? And when he's 23, he's still got seven more years to put in. Now, God uses process because it's a way of refining our fear into faith. It's a, it's a way of developing trust it, it's a way it has a way of showing where we really have built our lives there's a really encouraging point in all of this and it's about the power of a promise so if mary has an angelic visitation and becomes supernaturally pregnant and gives birth in a really natural way but one of one of the things we see from the scripture is from what we can tell she never gave up hope one of, the, one of the little recurring themes that the scripture keeps saying about Mary is she just pondered this in her heart over and over. So she hid it in her heart. She turned it over. She let it ruminate. She let it ferment. And it really reveals to us the power of a promise. When we receive a promise from God, it can actually empower our lives to deal with external scrutiny for 30 years. Like one promise from God can be more valuable to you than an entire community that thinks you're crazy. I'll take that. I mean, there's a lot of people in this community that think I'm crazy. They really do. I won't go into that. But I will say this. One of the reasons I've never really cared is because I've heard God. And some people think, well, Adam, you're just being an arrogant jerk. Yeah, I mean, I realize it can come off that way sometimes. It's really not. It's really just, I've heard God. And I'm not saying that you didn't. I'm just saying I did. I've got a promise. If it makes me weird, if it makes me strange, so be it. What do I do? I carry it around. I'm pregnant. And so process tests our faith. James says that having your faith tested gives you perseverance and perseverance makes you mature. So there's something about the process that grows you up. There's something about endurance and holding on to a promise that allows trust to grow a person into a mature person. And really the overarching question here is this. Is God at work? That's the question we always have to deal with when we get a promise from God and there's a season between receiving the promise, becoming pregnant, gestating that thing out to delivery. The question that becomes in our life is this. Is God at work? So the question is, at 23, and Jesus still living at home making coffee tables, is God at work? The answer is yes, he is at work. 
He is at work. This is incredibly practical for everybody in the room because this is the process for everyone here at a certain degree and at a certain level. Let's make it really practical for a moment. How about when you open up your Bible on Tuesday morning and you read five paragraphs and it feels like nothing? The question is, is God at work? The answer is yes. What about when God makes you a promise and it is three years since he made you the promise and there has been no visible external movement? Is God at work? What about when you pray and it feels like your prayer bounces off the ceiling and hits you right back on the head? Is God at work? The answer is yes. In case you were doubting. God is always at work. And one of the things I want to say here is, is this as well, because we can get all religious about this too. When we become absolutely convinced that God's at work, that's not some sort of a cut and run tactic that just couches every delay and all of our misfortune and all of our heartache into a, it's God's timing. You hear me on that? But at the same time, God is at work. So process allows us to be tested. Process allows us to be refined from fear. And then process also does this. Process allows God to build into our lives the right kind of container to hold the contents of His precious promises. See, when God makes you a promise, you actually need the process so that you can become the kind of person who can contain the promise. Like fully formed. You need it. You know, there's a reason that we don't let five-year-olds play with handguns. There's a reason. Because, because their character, their worldview, uh, even, even their physical bodies are not prepared to deal with that right there. In any way, shape, form, or fashion. There's a reason we don't let three-year-olds drive cars. I let, I let my three-year-old drive a car and he drove it into the side of the building over here. So the big dent over here, that's Seth. He was about, he was about two years old. Had to put him in the van before she could walk around behind the van to put River in. He would come out of his car seat, unbuckled, was in the front seat, pulled it in to drive and was jumping up and down, drove it right into the side of the building. So you need process in your life. You'll drive the van of your promise right into the church. That was pretty anointed. See, you need, you need the container of skills and you need the container of character that will allow you to manage God's favor and blessing in your life. You do. And there's something, about, there's something about process, there's something about time, and there's something about years, and there's something about having your faith tested that will refine you into being the kind of person who has actual character in actual years. How many of you realize when you took a new job, on your first day on the job, you were, you were not good? I don't care what it is. Like, like we, could go all go get a, we could all go get a job at like a fast food restaurant flipping burgers right now. And if I showed up, even though I have a college degree, I could show up on the line and I would be the least skilled person there. I would do a really bad job. You need time to get good. 
You need time. You need skills. And here's a prophetic word for you. Nobody in the room can presently handle all that God has in mind for you. There's, uh, you know? Thank God for process because you can't actually handle what He has in mind for you right now. In fact, if He were to pour out everything that He has in mind for you, it would most likely ruin you and it's the mercy of God that He withholds His hand and causes you to go through a process till you grow up to be the kind of container that He can pour into. It's the mercy of God in your life. So what if you feel like you're called to the top but you find yourself at the bottom? What if you feel like you're called to the top but you find yourself at the bottom? See, a lot of us A lot of us get sad when we feel like we're called to the top and find ourselves at the bottom. We need to not be sad. We need to get happy because you're actually in really good company. There's that guy. His name is Joseph. I think I remembered something about he had like prophetic dreams when he was a teenager about his mother and his brothers and his father all serving him, right? Where'd that get him? Got him in a pit, right? Sold into slavery. Ends up in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's hot wife tries to seduce him. Takes all of her clothes off. Joseph runs and he ends up in jail. But one of the things about Joseph, there's two things. Joseph was a man of character. He never touched Potiphar's wife. He never stole one thing. And he was also a man of great skill. Every place that he was placed... In his journey, he rose to the top. And so when he was in jail, he was the best prisoner there was. He was. I mean, this is real. Like some of y'all are like, how am I going to make it in life? I'm telling you how to make it right now. You're in jail. Okay. You're in prison. Okay. Be the best prisoner. Like work hard. Like serve the people around you. I think it's very interesting that Joseph is the guy that gets other people out of jail before he gets to go out of jail. Like some of you are like, God, when are you going to give me some relief? God, when are you going to turn me loose to walk in my calling? And God's like, well, I'll turn you loose to walk in your calling and I'll turn you loose to give you some relief when you start turning other people loose to walk in their callings rather than just hoarding everything on your own self. I mean, come on. Joseph, if you're at the bottom and you're supposed to be at the top, you're actually in good company. Joseph was at the bottom. There's this other guy, his name was Gideon. You guys remember Gideon? Gideon was absolutely afraid of everything and he had harvested all of his grain and he had harvested it. Afterwards, he goes down into a wine press, which was a pit. There's this theme in the Bible about pits. It's a really great word study. You should do it sometime. And he finds himself, that was a joke, and he was in a pit and he was threshing wheat in a pit because he didn't want it to, he didn't want to be seen because all, of, all the enemies of Israel would come in and they wouldn't come in until the harvest happened. And they would come in and steal his wheat. So he's completely afraid I'm going to lose all my wheat. And he's down here and he's this little guy. And he's, then, the, then the angel of the Lord shows up and says, Gideon, mighty man of valor. Gideon's like, who are you talking to? The angel of the Lord says, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Yeah, he started off at the bottom. And then he took 300 guys and killed 150,000 people without ever having to pull a sword out. And the plan was, we'll break our lamps and we'll blow some horns. That's the plan. From the bottom to the top. If you're on the bottom and you know you're supposed to be at the top, you're in good company. The Lord Jesus, on the bottom, forever at the top. 
there's good news and there's bad news for everybody in the room. That's the way the kingdom of heaven always comes, by the way. Everybody thinks, well, it's all just good news. Not really. It's, I've, I've lived this long enough to know there's some bad news in there as well. And some of you are like, well, I don't know about that now. Well, here's what I mean. I just mean that even the good news is going to cost you something. You know, if it costs the Lord Jesus something, it'll cost you something. Jesus says the servant is not above his master. If they hated me, they'll probably hate you. If I started out at the bottom, you'll probably have to start out at the bottom. So if you're at the bottom, then just rejoice. You're already there. If you're at the top and you never went to the bottom, look out. That's not me being hardcore. It's just, it's just the story, man. I tell you what, you're going to follow Jesus around? Jesus might come to you and say, well, you've, you've done everything really good. I just need you to sell everything you have and become poor and go give it to all the poor people who don't know what to do with money and who'll waste it. Whoa. You don't understand, Jesus. I've worked really hard for this money. Well, no. I know. I want you to go give it to the poor people who don't know how to handle money and they'll spend it. I'm going to say something, but I won't. Filter. <laughs> God's really into process. Process allows allows us to mature and develop. A little note about maturation and development. That's right, I said maturation. Children need children need rewarded sooner. Children need to have their rewards really soon. But as an adult, I can work toward a vision without a reward immediately. It's the other thing about reward and delay. The larger the reward, the more it will be delayed. Every time. The larger the thing that's on the line, the more it will be delayed. The bigger vision you have for your life, the longer it will be delayed. And by the way, that's the mercy of God in action in your life. We see this all the time with people who win the lottery and young men who get drafted into the NFL. See, money doesn't solve any problem. It amplifies what's already there. You need process. One of the most famous basketball players to ever play at Kentucky was drafted early by the Boston Celtics and received in his career over $125 million worth of contracts. He is broke right now. Why? Because more got poured into his container than he was able to, do, able to contain. And it really wasn't even totally his fault. Kid had no chance, right? This guy in particular grew up on the streets, never had a father. It's not surprising. So what I'm trying to say is there is a process for every single person. Money isn't the solution. It's an amplifier. You got bad stuff on the inside, you get a bunch of money, it'll all just come on the outside. You get a bunch of favor on your life, it's just going to amplify everything that's already on the, on the inside. So we need to embrace process right now. And the larger the reward, the larger the vision that you have from God, the larger the call that you have on life, the longer it's going to be delayed because God is actually protecting you and we can take solace in knowing that His hand is leading me to a place where I don't have to be ruined. You realize this, that... A gestation period for mice is 18 days. Gestation period for an elephant is 22 months. The larger the reward, the longer the process. Right? 
Any of you guys ever been to a zoo? Elephants are amazing, aren't they? They're unbelievable, actually. I mean, I don't, I don't even get it. Like, their feet are so huge, and their trunks, and they can pick up a peanut with their trunk. I mean, it's not a joke. That little... It's unbelievable. They live for like, I don't know, 80 years. We can make piano keys out of their tusks. <laughs> Just, sorry. <laughs> I'm just joking. But it's <laughs> it's hysterical. But then, like mice, like 18 days, not much reward there. Kind of a curse, honestly. If your house has ever been invaded by mice, you know what I'm talking about. But how cool would it be if we had an elephant, you know? That's a different thing. See, like if you've got mouse dreams, won't be much of a delay, won't be all that valuable. If you've got elephant dreams, going to be delayed, going to be very valuable. Amen? All right, if you're, on the, if you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up. Otherwise, why don't you stand up? I want to pray for you.